a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. This morning, uh, Graham's asked me to choose a psalm, which is not an easy task because there's a lot of them. So I was looking, for, I flicked through them for ages. I think, what on earth am I going to do? And then a few weeks ago, I just um, I was reading one of the UCB um, bits, and it was it was a bit in there from Psalm 100, and it's a fantastic little psalm. It's only five verses, but I think it's the kind of psalm that you could live your life by. Um, so that's what we can look at this morning. So let's pray. Um, and then we'll look at Psalm 100 together. Lord, I want to thank you for being with us this morning. But God, I'm expecting so much more. Holy Spirit, when you make yourself known this morning. Lord, we just want that touch from you this morning. Lord, make yourself known here. God, I just pray. Stir people's hearts, Lord, this morning. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you had um, wanted something you wanted to share during worship, keep a hold of it and we'll have a chance afterwards to do that. So. Please, because you didn't get a chance earlier, don't feel it wasn't from God or anything. If you've got something, then please, we'll, we'll share it later. Okay, do you want to turn to Psalm 100? And we shall read it, and then we're going to go through it verse by verse, because it's only short, it's only five verses, so we can do it. So Psalm 100 says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Now I'm not a loud person. So I was thinking I might skip that first verse. Because that's not the kind of thing we do. We don't shout. We sing. We sing songs. Sometimes we sing them joyfully. But there's no way we shout. Not in this church. Oh, no, 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 no. But you know what? You have to go with what's in the Bible, don't you? So there it is, right at the very beginning. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Well, the word here, shout, means make a loud noise. So it doesn't have to be a shout, just a loud noise. Lots of loud noise. Isn't it good? But why? Why a shout for joy? Why a shout? Why a loud noise for joy? Well, if we look through the Bible, we see a number of occasions when there are shouts or loud noises. And very often, they're used to defeat the enemy. Joshua 6 verse 20 says, When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted... And at the, shout of the trump- and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and they took the city. Judges 7.18, this is the story of Gideon. When I and all who were with me blew our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. And you know how that story finished. And then Jesus, when he hung on the cross... In Matthew 27, verse 15, when Jesus had cried out in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Oh, I love that verse because it speaks volumes. He gave up his spirit. It wasn't taken from him, it wasn't stolen, 
It wasn't as if somebody paid for it. Jesus gave it up of his own accord for you and for me. He gave it up, but he shouted. He shouted in victory. He knew it was finished. He knew that the devil had had his day. It is finished. And then he gave up his spirit. So our shout is telling the world what God has done. Making it known what God has done for you. Telling the devil that no matter what, we will boast in the good things God has done. And that through Christ on the cross, we have the victory. Because a shout is a weapon in our arsenal. We've got lots of things, but a shout is a weapon. And if you shout, it will put you on the front foot. I know this morning I shouted at Jordan, and it was a bad shout. But the adrenaline rush that goes through you when you shout something, it wasn't great, and it destroyed me because I knew what I'd done was wrong. But there was that feeling that, oh, and it results in a shout. It's a weapon for us. Puts us on the front foot. Puts us in a mindset for battle. Stirs your heart, and it stirs your spirit. Isaiah 42.13 says, The Lord goes out like a mighty man. Like a man of war, he stirs up his zeal. He cries out. He shouts aloud. He shows himself mighty against his foes. It's a great way, isn't it, to start a meeting with a shout, declaring that the Lord is in control. But we notice from the verse, it's not, it's not just a shout, is it? Shouting is only part of it. The other... Half of the verse talks about joy. Shout for joy, it says. A shout that comes from a joy. A joyful shout comes from a joyful heart. And it's a joyful heart that will give you strength. You probably all know the verse. Nehemiah 8, verse 10 says, Then he said to them, Go your way, eat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved For the joy of the Lord is your strength. J.M. Farrow from JesusFreakHideout.com Great website. Says this about joy in his daily devotional. So this is J.M. Farrow. He says, in the Bible, the concept of joy is a serious business. It's not a superficial, warm and fuzzy kind of feeling. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And it can help the believer, overcome all kinds of adversity. Nehemiah 8.10 reveals that we gain strength from the joy that God gives us. The scriptures indicate that when we lose our joy, we can become victims of despair and even sickness. Proverbs 17.22 says, A cheerful heart does good like a medicine, but a broken spirit makes one sick. Have you ever gotten sick after something has happened to disappoint or depress you? He says, I have. And he goes on to say, Proverbs 15.15 says, When a man is gloomy, everything seems to go wrong. When he is cheerful, everything seems to go right. Ever notice how your moods can affect your whole outlook on life? When you're feeling down, it can seem like nothing's going right. And everyone around irritates you. But if you're feeling particularly cheerful one day, almost nothing bothers you. When you're filled with joy, when you're filled with the joy of the Lord, you feel strong, capable and ready for anything. 
That is why a joyful believer is hard for the devil to handle. If the enemy can steal your joy, he can rob you of almost anything, including your health. There's a, there's a network, I did find this funny. There's, a, there's a, a group of people, they call themselves the Joy Network. And as far as I can see, they're not Christians. They're just people who need to find joy. And on the very front page of their website, they say this. We see joy as an iceberg. The largest part of the iceberg is the foundation on which joy is built. The tip is what you see. Joy is bigger than happiness, which is just a small part of the iceberg. Most of us think we will be happy when we have something that we don't have now, which means that we're hardly ever happy. We are born with the capacity to be joyful. We don't need anything else or anyone's permission. We can be joyful all the time. It's a choice. It takes hard work. Now, that second bit I would disagree with because we know the joy comes from God. But they did go on to say, the bulk of the iceberg consists of 12 pillars which they believe joy is built on. Their gratitude, compassion and grace, hope, reverence, generosity, forgiveness, energy and vitality, listening, laughter, love, cheerful enthusiasm and equanimity which means evenness of mind especially under stress which to me sounds a lot like peace don't you think the peace that God gives the peace that passes all understanding evenness of mind especially under stress now I think for us God would have to be the foundation and the giver of those things wouldn't he but that's not a bad list of things Gratitude, compassion and grace, hope, reverence, generosity, forgiveness, energy and vitality, listening, laughter, love, cheerful enthusiasm and an evenness of mind, especially under stress. Joy is something that the devil tries to take from us because he knows that the joy of the Lord is our strength and without it, we are weak. Without the joy, the world can look grey. It can be dismal and we can lose hope. And hope and joy go hand in hand. Without hope, you don't have joy. And without joy, we can lose hope. I found a great, couple of great definitions of hope. First one, hope is the settled confidence that what God has promised is true. The second one, hope grasps the promises of God before they are realised. There are two great quotes about hope. So that was verse one. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Verse two says, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Now the New American Standard Bible says of that, Serve the Lord with gladness. And the literal translation also says, Serve the Lord with with gladness. We are to become servants of God with gladness. Now, gladness is a funny word. And I love to look up these words in the dictionary just to see what they mean. Because it gives me a bit, of, a bit more of an insight and words I understand. And this is what it comes up with. Gladness. Experiencing or exhibiting joy and pleasure. Appreciative Providing joy and pleasure, so not just 
receiving it. Very willing. Bright and cheerful. And having a naturally cheerful disposition. So how many of you would say that uh, you are full of gladness, having listened to that list? Have I got a naturally cheerful disposition? Depends what day of the week it is, really, isn't it? Anyway. Happy. It's another word for gladness, isn't it? Applies to the pleasurable feeling of contentment. John Stuart Mill, a man I know nothing about, but he said this, Ask yourself whether you are happy and you cease to be so. Gladness, another word it gives is cheerful, which suggests characteristics of good spirits. Now, I love it when they write things about good spirit and stuff because I'm not sure they really realise what they're writing because we know, don't we, that our spirit, our soul, needs nurturing. When they say good spirits, they're probably thinking of drinks and stuff like that. When people say, oh, we gave up the ghost, do they really know what they're talking about? Jesus giving up his Holy Spirit. Light-hearted, another word that they had under gladness. Stresses the absence of care. That's a good one. And the final two were joyful and joyous, which suggests lively and often exultant happiness. Oh, gosh. A joyful heart and joyous laughter. Hey, that sounds better, doesn't it? So what? We're to become servants of the Lord with cheerful hearts, light-heartedness, joyful and joyousness. Being very willing, bright and cheerful, having a natural, natural cheerful disposition. That's what that verse is saying. Become a servant of the Lord with gladness. And we've heard over the next last couple of weeks, serving is everything we do. We can't put it in a box. Serving God isn't a part of your life, it is your life. When you become a servant, you become a part of that person's life. You live their life with them. Servants in the old days would have lived with their masters. They were a part of their life. It was everything that they did. And it's the same for us when we're serving God. It is everything that we do. But for this morning, let's look how we can serve the Lord with gladness at a Sunday meeting, which is where we are now. So firstly, we can serve one another during worship. And what I'm not saying, it isn't just about coming down the front and giving a word, good as that is. But you can serve people just by fully participating in worship. Have you ever, yeah, many of you have stood up here, and I know I have, and you're looking out across a congregation, and probably 60% of them are going for it. 20% are sitting down, but you know they're engaging God. Probably the last 20%, you're wondering why they bothered coming at all. And if you happen to be sitting next to someone like that, it can be quite tough. If you've come in feeling a little bit down, you want people around you who are going to lift your spirits. So you can serve people this morning by entering into worship, singing joyfully, fully participating in worshipping God together, being fully engaged in worshipping God. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have to stand up for the whole thing. I'm a great one for sitting down during worship. If you're sitting down, let's focus on God. Yeah. Let's not be focusing on how bright the lights are. 
or how loud the music is or whatever. Let's be focusing on God. You don't know, the person next to you might need just that little kick, might need to hear some of the words you're just muttering between you and God just to get them going in the morning. So we can serve each other during worship. You can serve God, the church people, by making them feel welcome. Aren't you? We talk about being a welcoming church, and that serves God. Because God is a welcoming God. He will welcome you with open arms. And as a church, we can be welcoming. We are welcoming, I trust. So serving the church by making feel people welcome. Chrissy's already touched on this. Serving God on a Sunday by teaching the kids. Now, I am amazed at the number of parents who come up with the excuse that they're not called or they don't feel able to teach kids. And I can't get my head around this because if you've had kids, you've got kids, (laughs) you want kids, there's a gap somewhere because you've already raised them. You may not realise that church... Frog Club will not make your kids a Christian. It needs a bit more than that. <laughs> we can do our best. But parents are to teach their children. It says in the Proverbs, doesn't it? Teach your children in the way of the Lord. You can't leave it to Frog Club leaders. But if you have kids, not being called to it is not, not an excuse. <laughs> because you have them. You can teach them. You have taught them. You can do it. So, if you're, and I understand some people, some people do an awful lot in the church, so please, guys, don't, I don't, I'm not, if you already do seven things on a Sunday morning, don't tag Frog Club onto the end of that list, because it won't be useful. But if you're not, if you've got, if you've had kids, maybe you've got grandkids or something, please think about it. It's not difficult to teach the kids. They love learning. It's not like us. We don't like to learn sometimes. Because we've had a bad experience. We've been through school, college, university, exams, this, that, and the other. Learning is hard work. But when you're a kid, it's great. You absorb it all. It's not hard. And the way I look at it, I look at Frog Club. When, when we and Lou do Frog Club, if they can go away learning one thing that morning, then we've achieved something. We have them for an hour and a half, and it's one thing we're trying to get into their head. What is the, what is the main overview of that morning? We do lots of things. We sing, we do craft. But it's all about getting this one thing into their head. Maybe it's that God loves them. Maybe it's God forgives them. Yeah, when we were doing it last week, it was the fact that God sends people to help them. We had the um, story of Naomi. Naomi and Ruth. You know, God sent them to help each other. And that's what we wanted to get through to the kids last week. So we can serve God by teaching our kids. We can serve God by using the skills God has given us. I'm not going to ask you to put up your hand, but if you play an instrument here in this morning at home, maybe you, you learned when you were a kid, are you using it on a Sunday morning? Have you gone up to one of the worship leaders and say, I play the tambourine very well. I would love to be a part of your band. And I know Graham would appreciate that because he loves the tambourine, especially one with tassels on it. And we may even be able to get you a tambourine solo in at some point. <laughs> but seriously, if God's given you a gift, please use it. Has God given you a gift of being able to play a musical instrument? Why not be a part of a band on a Sunday morning? Why not help us? 
So ways we can, we can serve God on a Sunday morning. We are servants. If you've given your life to God, we are a servant of God. We are here to serve him. Why do we do it? Because he loves us. And as we serve, he gives to us. But living like that, living as a servant, requires a heart to serve. A serving heart says giving to others is better than receiving. Acts 20.35 says this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way we can help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. I love praying for people because as I pray for people, I get so much from it. If you are praying the power of God into somebody, then you can't help but receive some of it as well. So we're servants. We are to serve the Lord with gladness in all that we do. All right, next. Verse 3. Oh, I see. We're nearly halfway. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And it says know that the Lord is good. It doesn't say just remember when things get tough that the Lord is good. We need to know that God is good. Not just remember it. Not just feel it because feelings come and go. Feelings go up and down. Knowing something Knowing it deep inside. It says, know that the Lord is God. And there's many names for God, isn't there? But in this psalm, there are two. The first one is Lord. Know that the Lord. This is the name that his servants, us, we use. It's a special name that means many things. But two of them are this. The first thing God will be faithful to his servants. The second thing, his servants will be faithful to God. So they go hand in hand. God will be faithful to his servants and his servants will be faithful to God. So when we're saying, know that the Lord, it's know that God who is faithful to his servants is God. Now the other word God in Hebrew means that he is more powerful than anyone else's. So that first line could be God, no God who is faithful to his servants is more powerful than anyone else's. Now is that an encouraging verse or what? Knowing the character of God helps us in our daily lives. Not just remembering it, not just feeling it, knowing it. We have to get to know him more. Stories have always been a good way to learn. I enjoy learning through stories. The New Testament is full of stories that Jesus told. And one story I've found particularly helpful is the shack. I've mentioned it before. But I found that really helpful in understanding the character of God or getting to grips with some of the characters of God. Because it's written as a story. It hasn't got any great theological words in it. It's very simple. 
it's put in a discussion so you can, you can almost picture yourself in it. But at the end of it, it helps you to understand the character of God and what he's like, who he is, how he feels, how he feels towards me. I'd encourage you, if you haven't read it, read it. Get hold of a copy. I've just downloaded it as an audio book. I think I paid about eight quid for it online. It's now on my computer. It's now on my phone. So I can listen to it wherever I go. But get a hold of it. Read it. It will do you good. Because it helps just unpack a little. Well, for me, certainly. If you like stories, then it will help you. If you're a theologian, you may struggle. If you're a theologian, then there are some good um, commentaries you can go for. If not, have a read of the shack. It will do you good. It will stretch you. That's what I found. It blew away some of my preconceived ideas of who God was. The first one that will blow your mind is the fact that God is portrayed as a middle-aged black woman. And for some people, that is a problem. And for me, it was a problem for a while until I started thinking, well, is God a middle-aged black man? No, he's not. Who is God? God is God. He is not man or woman. He describes himself as a lamb. He is not a lamb, as we know lambs. So the fact that he's been described as a middle-aged black woman, yes, it, but it helps in a way. The guy, I'm sure the guy is not saying that God sits in heaven on his throne as a middle-aged black woman. Because we, we don't know what God looks like. He's neither man nor woman. But he is God. So read it. Take a read. Take some time out to read it. It will help you. And if not, come and hit me afterwards. Or once you've read it, if you don't find it useful, come and throw it in my face and say, what are you talking about? You muppet. Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. Okay, a bit of audience participation. I want you to say this. I am a work of God. Okay, so I must be wonderful. Hey, Should we say it again? I am a work of God. So I must be wonderful. Oh, we're wonderful people. We are made by God. We are knitted together by him. He made you unique. No mistake, it wasn't a trial run for your younger brother or sister. He wasn't thinking, now, yeah, he was all right, but we'll make his brother's just a little bit better. I know there's a few bits I could tweak. You're unique. You were made as God intended you to be made. And because you are a work of God, you are wonderful. You are wonderfully and fearfully made. God's works are wonderful. So you are a wonderful person. Are you living as a wonderful creation of God? Are you living as a creation of his very hand? Do you see yourself as a wonderful creation? I guess not sometimes. Certainly not this morning. I didn't feel like a wonderful creation. But I am. No matter what the devil throws at me, I am a wonderful creation because I have been made by God. Do you know that the Lord, who is faithful to his servants, is more powerful than anything else or anyone else? We need to know it. Let's meditate on it. Let's declare it. Let's, let that be a part of your shout. 
Let that be a part of your shout this morning. That the Lord who is faithful to his servants is more powerful than anything or anyone else. If you know this deep within, it will give you a strong foundation for your life. The last part of the verse says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now sheep are sometimes in a pen. Maybe you feel like you're in a pen at the moment. You're quite safe. You're quite comfortable with where you are. You can see or you can feel God close. But have you noticed how sometimes sheep are in big fields and there doesn't seem to be anybody around? Maybe that's you right now. Maybe you feel as though God is a long way off. But when you drive through the countryside and you see fields and fields of sheep with no one there to look at them, you know there is a farmer who cares for those and who is looking after them. And it's exactly the same with God. Sometimes you may not feel like he's there, but he cares for you. He is looking after you. He is doing everything in his power to keep you safe and to keep you well. Nearly there. Verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Are you grateful for what you have? And also for what we don't have. Are you grateful that here on a Sunday morning we're not underground somewhere hiding away? Because that's still the reality for some people. Are you grateful? Not envious. Grateful, not greedy. Grateful, not ungrateful. Grateful, not dissatisfied with what you have. Not dissatisfied with your lot. It says, enter his courts with thanksgiving. And his courts with, and his, oh, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. For, it, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. It is God's will that we be thankful, that we're grateful for what we have. <coughs> Last verse, verse 5. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The Lord is good. God is infinitely good. Infinitely means immeasurably. You cannot measure how good God is. You cannot put him against Gandhi and say, Gandhi was good, but God is ten times better than Gandhi. He is infinite. You cannot measure how good God is. It is not possible. He is innately good. Innately means it's his essential characteristic. It's what makes him. Goodness is God. God is goodness. And God is immutably good. That wasn't my word. (laughs) But immutably means not subject to change. God is unchanging. His goodness does not change. He is not good one day and slightly good slightly less good the next day. He doesn't have an off day where his goodness diminishes slightly. His goodness is not subject to change. 
God is also the source and fountain of all other good. He does good things. He extends his goodness to others. In his nature, it is his nature to be kind and generous and benevolent, to demonstrate goodwill towards men, to take pleasure in making them, because God is good. Making them happy, that should have been so. He wants us to have what we need for happiness. And he sees that it is available to us. Every good thing we know, enjoy, or ever hope to enjoy, flows from God. And no good thing has ever existed or ever will exist that does not come from his good hand. God is good. Jesus said to the rich young ruler, no one is good except God alone. No other being is good. All goodness that exists outside of him finds its source in him. Even a man as good as the Apostle Paul had to admit that in his natural being there was, not, there was no good thing in him. That's Romans 7.18. And we have to admit it too. The reason we fall is because we are not by nature good. We are by nature evil. But God is good. And he gives us his goodness. He lavishes it upon us. So that we can do good things. If there is any good to be found in us, it has to come from God. For we can't do it ourselves. We cannot produce goodness ourselves. Anything good comes from God. The psalmist says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Our circumstances aren't a barometer of God's love and goodness. The cross is. Another little quote, which says it comes from Spur. Now, I don't know whether that's his full name, or whether we missed off a letter. But anyway, Spur said this. When you are tempted to deny God's goodness, love and grace, look at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus took your place. Having read it again, I think it's part of a hymn, isn't it? I don't know. When you are tempted to deny God's goodness, love and grace, look at the cross of Calvary, where Jesus took your place. So just to wrap things up, what does this psalm tell us to do? Well, firstly, shout for joy. Start your day with a shout of joy. Start it with a time of thanking God for who he is and what he has done. One day, as it says, the whole earth will shout for joy. But until then, it's down to the church. It's down to the church to shout and boast about the goodness of God. Shouts for joy should be a part of our daily lives. For living in victory... It means shouting for joy, making a loud noise, making it known that God is good. We're to serve with gladness, serve God with a glad heart. We serve 24-7, don't we? 
Instead, we're not. We don't get time off. We serve 24-7. And our role, our task, is to make known God's love to everyone we come into contact with. Just make it known God loves them. Show God's love to everybody we come in contact with. Whether that's at church, at work, at home. You know, that is our time. 24-7 we're serving God. To let everybody know the love of God. Know that the Lord is God. Knowing is better than thinking, remembering or feeling. Because those things change. You can lose, you can forget things, can't you? You can think too much about things sometimes. And feelings go up and down. But know that the Lord is good. And spend some time getting to know him. Read some books. Read the Bible. Listen to tapes. Listen to talks that talk of God's character. Get to know him. Know it. Know it deep down. Let it penetrate your heart and your soul. Know that the Lord is God. Be thankful. Have a thankful heart. Because a thankful heart guards against greed and dissatisfaction. We're constantly thanking God for what we have and not focusing on what we don't have. We'll be in a much better place. Finally, God is good and faithful. God is good. And he is faithful. Our response to God's goodness is not only praise, but also thanksgiving. If we take a few minutes each day to do nothing but thank God for some of the good things he has done, we will discover the joy of God's promises. Thanksgiving is like a tonic that brightens the entire complexion of our lives. Learn to practice it. At first it may be tough. At first it may be embarrassing. But it will soon become a joyful and satisfying way of life. The message puts Psalm 100 like this. On your feet now, applaud God, bring a gift of laughter. Sing yourselves into his presence. Know this, God is God and God, God. He made us, we didn't make him. We're his people, his well-tended sheep. Enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank him, worship him. For God is sheer beauty. All generous in love, loyal always and ever. Lord, I want to thank you for this morning. Holy Spirit, I want to welcome you here. Lord, I want to ask you to fill this place with your joy. Lord, you say it's a fruit of your spirit. Holy Spirit, come and bear fruit in us this morning.